0: Welcome to Scripture Studies, a verse-by-verse study of the Bible. I'm your host, Scott Sperling. Today we'll be looking at verses 4-11 through 11 of Romans chapter 8. So grab your Bible, sit back, and open your hearts and minds as we study the Word of God together. continuing our study of Romans chapter 8, so you can turn there in your Bibles. We're on verse 4-ish, I guess, uh, though we talked a little bit about verse 4 in our last study. We'll be looking at verses 4 through 11 this morning. In this section, for the most part, Paul compares those who live according to the flesh with those who live according to the spirit. So we'll define what each of those terms means and look at what Paul has to say about them. So let's begin by reading the whole passage and then we'll come back and look at it in detail. We'll pick up our reading at the end of verse three just to get the whole context. We'll be reading verses three through 11 of Romans chapter eight. Quote, and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you." Paul, not just here in this passage, but other places in the New Testament, speaks often about the flesh and walking in the flesh or being motivated by the things of the flesh. So let's begin by talking about what exactly that means. What does this phrase, living in the flesh, mean? In essence, it's living a life focused primarily on satisfying the needs and wants of your bodily desires. The body has certain instinctual desires—air, water, food, sex, power— and so living in the flesh means living primarily to satisfy these needs for yourself. I think the easiest way to look at it is to view living in the flesh as living like an animal. Animals are driven solely by instinct. So their actions are controlled by the desires of their flesh, by these basic animal desires. And humans also have these basic animal desires. As I said, air, water, food, sex, power. And we also have a natural instinct to selfishly satisfy these desires. And if we're driven solely by these animal instincts, then we're living in the flesh. You see, humans are called to do more than that, to, to be more than that. We are made in the image of God, which means that we have been given reasoning capabilities and moral knowledge such that we can rise above living strictly to satisfy our animal instincts. So when Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that we should live by the Spirit and not by the flesh, it's basically God saying, hey, I made you in the image of God, so now act like it. Don't live like an animal. Don't live merely to strive to please the desires of the flesh. Live as those who are made in the image of God. Now, admittedly, this can be tough sometimes. It's tough, because we do have these animal instincts. We do have these fleshly desires. We do desire air, water, food, sex, power. In fact, most of these are actual needs that we have. So there's a fine line to be walked here. We need to make sure that we fulfill these desires and needs in a God-sanctioned way, in a way that's according to the law of God and according to the example of Christ. Not selfishly, but with self-control. And yet, wait, let me modify that. Not self-control, because frankly, we all fail at self-control. Rather than self-control, we need to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul is emphasizing in this passage. What is motivating us? What is controlling us? Is it the fleshly desires? Or are we under the control of the Holy Spirit, heeding the promptings of the Holy Spirit? And that's kind of what Paul speaks about here, though he begins by speaking of of our actions, about whether our actions reflect that we're living according to the Spirit. But then he speaks of our actual being, our actual state of existence, so to speak. In fact, in the original Greek, there's a bit of a progression in how Paul describes those living according to the flesh versus those living according to the Spirit a progression of the degree to which one is under the flesh versus the spirit. We can see this better in the New American Standard Bible translation, which sticks fairly closely to the original Greek. So let's read that translation. I'll read uh, verses 3 through 8 again in the NASB. Quote, He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God." This translation shows the progression of things better than in the NIV, and it's closer to what the Greek actually says, which means that it's closer to what Paul actually wrote. So, the progression goes like this. Those who walk according to the flesh, as it says in verse 4. Those who are according to the flesh, we find that in verse 5. Those who have their minds set on the flesh, that's in verse 6. And then those who are in the flesh, we find that in verse 8. And this progression is kind of typical of the Hebrew style of writing, which is seen quite a bit in the Old Testament, which uses the literary device of parallelism. Parallelism is a literary device where the author gives us parallel statements which are meant to be compared and contrasted with each other. And then through the comparison we can get further insight into what's going on. Paul, of course, was educated in Hebrew and educated extensively in the Old Testament writings. so. Though Paul was writing in the Greek language here, he picked up this common literary device which is used in the Old Testament quite a bit. At times, it may seem like Paul is being redundant and just repeating himself. I mean, we read it, and if we're not paying close attention, we see the repetition and say, hey, hey Paul, you just said that. But if you look closely, you see that Paul does change things up a bit. And so we're supposed to look at what has changed in the parallel phrases and then learn something from that. So that's what we're doing here. And voila, we see that there's a progression in how Paul speaks of those living in the flesh. First they walk, then they are, and then their minds are set on the flesh, and then finally they're... In the flesh. So first in verse 4 Paul speaks of walking according to the flesh or according to the Spirit. Though the NIV translates this word as live not walk the literal meaning of the word in the Greek is walk. It was an idiom in Greek and so people used the word walk to denote living their lives day to day. This word and its uses other places in the New Testament is where we get our phrase, you know, our Christian walk. Sometimes we'll say, oh, my Christian walk is strong at the moment, or or some such thing. I don't know why the NIV chooses to, I guess, shield us from this idiom and translate the word as live. It seems like the NIV is treating us like children a bit, like like we can't figure out what Paul is saying if, if if they use the word walk there. And by translating the word as live, they're depriving us of a bit of poetry here. The term walk suggests that one is on the move and going in a certain direction, whereas the word live is a bit of a passive verb. So the phrase, walk according to the flesh, or alternatively, walk according to the spirit, those phrases suggest that we're actually doing something, acting either according to the flesh or according to the spirit. What Paul is really saying here is that the direction in which you are walking, so to speak, betrays the truthfulness of your faith. True faith demands that there be actions that reflect that faith. A genuine faith will be reflected by which direction you are walking in. Moving on to verse 5. Again, the word translated live in the NIV in verse 5 is not live in the original Greek. The original Greek has the word to be, and so the NASB again has an accurate translation saying those who are according to the flesh, etc. So the progression here is that in verse 4 a person is walking according to the flesh, meaning doing actions here and there, but in verse 5 that same person is described as being according to the flesh they are according to the flesh meaning that their state of existence is according to the flesh they don't just do things according to the flesh here and there they actually are according to the flesh and then in verse six we have the phrase their minds are set on what the flesh desires meaning that there's a bit of determination there their minds are set on carrying out what the flesh desires other translations have this as being carnal minded versus being spiritually minded which brings up a point living the christian life entails not only carrying out correct and godly actions but it but it entails that our minds be transformed so that our minds are are set on the things of the spirit an internal purity as well as an external purity is is required because Here's the problem. Whatever internal impurities that you have will eventually be manifested in your external actions. Jesus himself taught us this in Luke chapter 6, 45. Here's what he said, quote, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, unquote. Christianity is not a religion where we are saved and then just walk away as if nothing happened. It demands a new life, a new way of life, and a transformed mind. Such a change is really the proof of salvation, a new attitude, a new mindset. Such a thing comes with a new Lord. And then, to continue in our progression here, in verse 8, these folks are totally in the flesh, or as the NIV has it, totally in the realm of the flesh. So then, when we have translations which are closer to what Paul wrote, then I think we can see the poetry and even the message of Paul's writing a little clearer. And especially here, we can see why he seems to be repeating himself. He's not really repeating himself. Rather, by using this literary device of parallelism, he's depicting a group of people, on the one hand, who are progressing in living their lives according to the flesh, versus a group of people, on the other hand, who are progressing in living their lives according to the Spirit. And that's what normally occurs in life. A person doesn't really stay on the fence with regard to spiritual matters. You go one way or the other, and that's expressed in the idiom of walking according to the flesh or according to the spirit, as the case may be. You're headed in one direction or the other, making progress toward one or the other. And so naturally, there's always a progression. You're either moving towards living more of a life driven by your fleshly desires, driven by your animal instincts, or you're moving towards living more of a life driven and guided by the Holy Spirit. So some self-reflection here is important, I think. We should examine our lives and evaluate how much of our lives are driven by our animal instincts and how much of our lives are spent living according to the Spirit. Of course, we do have to take care of our bodies, and, and so there will always be a part of our existence taken up with breathing, eating, drinking, eating, etc. But our whole lives shouldn't be wrapped up in tending to the matters of the flesh. There needs to be a significant part of our lives dedicated to the things of the Spirit—helping others, serving the Lord, seeking to learn more about the things of the Spirit by studying and meditating on God's Word, etc. Much of it has to do with what your mind is set on, as it says in verses 5 and 6. What occupies your mind? Are you constantly focused on tending to the desires of the flesh? Or are those things in the backdrop because you're focused on the things of the Spirit? What occupies your mind? So self-reflection is good. We need to find out which of these categories we belong to. Am I living for the flesh or am I living for the Spirit? Because, and this is one of the points that Paul is making here, because we're either in one camp or we're in the other. There's no middle ground the whole world is divided in this way either you're living by the flesh or living by the spirit you're one or the other and it's quite important to find out which camp we're in because the stakes are high paul tells us exactly how high those stakes are he tells us the characteristics of both categories those who are in the realm of the flesh versus those who are in the realm of the spirit for those in the in the flesh there is death a hostility toward God, an inability to obey God, and an inability to please God. That's all said here in these verses, verses three through eight. For those in the spirit, there's life and peace and a spirit that is alive, and a new life in Christ. And and then in the next passage, which we'll cover next week, Paul goes on with more characteristics of living in the spirit, and those are adoption as sons of God, a freedom from fear, and an inheritance with Christ. So the stakes are quite high which means that self-reflection is a valuable thing to do in this matter. We need to know which camp we're in. Because what Paul is saying here is that if you are indeed living a life in the realm of the flesh and driven by those desires and not by the Spirit, what Paul is saying here is that in that case, you're not saved. That's what he points out in verses 9 and 10. Let's read those verses carefully. Romans 8, verses 9 and 10. Quote, you however are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the spirit if indeed the spirit of god lives in you and if anyone does not have the spirit of christ they do not belong to christ but if christ is in you then even though your body is dead because of sin your spirit is alive because of righteousness unquote Paul says again if anyone does not have the spirit of christ he or she does not belong to Christ. To me, that's saying that if you're living by the flesh and not the spirit, then you're not saved. You don't belong to Christ. And that's a serious statement. So again, self-reflection is important here. Where exactly am I? And then there's something going on here that I think it's important to point out. There's a chicken and egg thing going on here, and it's crucially important that we understand the correct order of things. So pay close attention here because many people have the wrong understanding of the correct order of things. Many people have the wrong idea about what comes first here. Here's what I mean. Here's the correct order of things. Our salvation comes first, and then through that we get the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then through that we begin living by the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is not going to let us live in a way contrary to the Spirit. That's the correct order of things, and it's important that we understand that. Let's read what Paul says in verse 9 carefully again. He says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So Paul says that you're in the realm of the Spirit if the Spirit lives in you. Or to put it another way, it is the Spirit living in you which brings you into the realm of the Spirit. You don't work and strive and fight your way into the realm of the Spirit, and then after that get the Spirit. No, the Spirit through your faith in Christ comes to live within you, And it's the Spirit who brings you into the realm of the Spirit. It's the Spirit who sets you going on that walk such that you're going in the right direction. You see, many people get this backwards. Many people have the wrong idea about the order of things here. Many people think that, well, first, I need to start living a good life, stop stop living by the flesh, and start living by the Spirit, and then after that, the Holy Spirit will reside in me, and then after that, I'm truly saved. But that's not how it works. That's totally backwards. Here's the order of things. First you get saved. You accept, you know, uh, the grace of God through faith in Christ, and then the Spirit of Christ comes to live in you, and then the Holy Spirit gets you walking on the path of the Spirit such that you enter into the realm of living by the Spirit. So then, what does it mean to get saved, as I said? That's a shorthand that, you know, Christians use, but it's important to know exactly what that means. How does that happen? Well, first, you acknowledge that you're a sinner. You acknowledge that you've fallen short of God's standard of how you should live. And once you acknowledge that, then you realize that you need the forgiveness for your sins that only comes through Christ. And that forgiveness, according to the Word of God, comes through faith that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient to atone for your sins. And then, in gratitude for all of this, you say, oh, thank you, Christ. Be the Lord of my life. You've saved me. Now I turn it all over to you. So then, that's how you're saved. And then we're promised here in Romans, and in many other places in the New Testament, we're promised that once we have faith in Christ, then the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. And then it's the Holy Spirit who starts to change our lives, such that we turn around and stop walking in the direction of living according to the flesh. We we make a U-turn and start walking in the direction of living according to the Spirit. So then. That's the true order of things. And it's crucially important that we know and understand the true order of things. Because knowing the order affects how we are to go about fixing things if they aren't right. Our salvation comes first, and then the indwelling of the Spirit, and then the sanctification part, which is the part where we start living by the Spirit and not by the flesh. So, And this is what's so important to understand So the sanctification is the result of our salvation, not the cause of our salvation. We start living a more godly life because we are saved. Trying to live a godly life is not what brings about our salvation. The fact that we're living according to the Spirit, that's not what caused our salvation. No, rather that's a proof of our salvation. That's a fruit that naturally and necessarily comes from our salvation. And this fact has enormous implications. Let's talk about these enormous implications. Let's say that you did this self-examination of whether you're living by the flesh or by the spirit. And let's say that you found, hmm, I'm, I'm really not living by the spirit. I'm really spending most of my time living by the flesh. Well then, that means you should worry. That's serious. That's enormously serious. Why? Well, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this is what this passage is teaching, Uh, maybe that means you're not saved. Because living by the Spirit, as I said, is a natural and necessary fruit of being saved, of truly being saved, of having the Holy Spirit dwell in you. Let's read verse 9 yet again. Quote, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ." So if you're still living in the realm of the flesh, then you don't have Christ. You don't belong to Christ. And that's serious stuff. So what's the solution? Do I frantically go and start trying to change myself so that I don't do things according to the flesh? That's our natural reaction. Do I start running around trying to find, I don't know, old ladies to help across the street or worthy charities to give my money to or something like that? No, because again, you'll be getting the order wrong. That's not how to fix the problem that you're living in the realm of the flesh. If you're living according to the flesh, the solution is not to go around by your own means and start trying to live according to the Spirit. No, because you'll fail in that. You'll fail because you don't have the spirit yet. You can't do it on your own. So no, the solution actually is to get saved. That's the solution. That's the first step in the process. Don't put the cart before the horse. Get saved first, and then all these other things will take care of themselves. And you're not saved by running around and trying to live a better life. You're saved by faith just as paul pointed out in his grand statement of the gospel back in romans chapter 3 let's read romans chapter 3 verses 23 to 25 quote for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by christ jesus god presented christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith," unquote. By faith we're saved. We're saved freely by the grace of God, by faith that Christ atoned for our sins. So through your self-reflection, if you find that you're still in the realm of the flesh, then focus on your need for Christ and your need for the salvation available through Christ. Because That's what's going to turn your life around, such that you start living by the Spirit. Moving on. There's one more thing that I want to bring up here, and that's the various ways that Paul, in this passage, refers to the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. It's it's quite interesting. In verse nine, he says, the Spirit of God lives in you. And then later in the same verse, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. And then in verse 10, he says, If Christ is in you, as a different way of referring to the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, Christ in us. And then in verse 11 he says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus. So it's quite interesting and informative, the various ways that Paul refers to the spirit dwelling in us. The spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, Christ in us, the spirit of him who raised Jesus. This passage, by many scholars, is seen as supporting the doctrine of the Trinity. We see here clearly that the Father, usually called God in the New Testament, we clearly see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are considered to be individual personalities, and yet there's a unity between them spoken of as well. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. And then also, the Holy Spirit in us is referred to as Christ being in us. So, we see pictured here the complex kind of relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just reflected in the language that Paul uses in these verses. And indeed, the Holy Spirit himself, and the work of the Holy Spirit, and how the Holy Spirit works, and exactly what it means for the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, well, those are all difficult things for our minds to grasp and worthy of more meditation than we've had a chance to go over today. And indeed, in general, one problem with this passage, and in fact, most of the passages in Romans chapter 8, is that there is far too much to talk about. For instance, we didn't even get to talk about the death and the raising to life spoken of in verses 10 and 11, where Paul says things like, your body is dead because of sin, but your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And then he goes on to say that if the spirit is living in us, then he will give life to your mortal body through his spirit for, or because of his spirit, who lives in you. We could spend a lot of time getting to the bottom of all that and meditating on what, whether Paul is just speaking of the spirit giving us life after the death of our bodies, or is there an aspect where we are made alive even during our lives here on earth? But alas, that's the way it is with Romans chapter 8. I have to kind of pick and choose what to focus on, because there's so, so much depth here. So I'll leave those things as an exercise for the reader. We hope you enjoyed today's study. If you're interested in other studies in this series, visit scripturestudies.com. That's scripturestudies, all one word, dot com. Or just Google Scripture Studies by Scott Sperling, and you're sure to find the site. The background music is licensed through Pond 5. The theme music and interludes are by Scott Sperling. All rights reserved. Until we meet again, live well, serve the Lord with passion, and always lean on the Holy Spirit. May the Lord be with you in all of your endeavors. Amen.